Good evening. You're listening to Make Out Already, a romance novel podcast. This episode, Lady Megan and Lady Elizabeth invite you to discuss Bridgerton, a Netflix original series. We'll talk about grappling with the demands of living in high society alongside the demands of one's own heart. For more intrigue, stay tuned. Hi listeners, one more note before we dive in. In this episode, we talk about some of the sensitive topics that are addressed in the show, which include rape, abuse, and assault. So if those happen to be triggering subjects for you, you may want to skip to a different episode. Here we go. Hey. Hey, Meg. How are you? I am having headset difficulties. For some reason, this headset works just fine, plugged in my phone if I'm recording by myself but the it doesn't work with the invite a friend feature so so we're going to have to troubleshooting it's like it's ridiculous the technology glitches that i deal with it's like are we in fucking regency england (laughs) (laughs) we're about to be (laughs) we're about to be but anyway let's talk about bridgerton yeah so I am very excited to talk about this with you. It seems like everybody I know is in some stage of watching it, but I haven't been able to really hash through it with somebody. So Mm -hmm. I'm just very, very excited. Are you excited enough that you feel capable of doing the recap this time? I. I... Okay. (laughs) What's really funny is I was like looking for a synopsis um, (laughs) online And on Wikipedia, there's a note that says, this episode's plot summary may be too long or excessively detailed. And I'm like, preach. (laughs) That is how I am every time. (laughs) That's Meg's rare aesthetic. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Anywho, so this is a Netflix original series by Shonda Rhimes. And based on the series, does it begin with the Duke and I? Yes, it does. Who wrote that? It's by Julia Quinn. And I have to say that I broke a vow for you. Much like Simon Bassett, the Duke of Hastings, broke a vow. (laughs) What was the vow? (laughs) I vowed that I would never watch another Shonda Rhimes show because I would never give Shonda my tears again. Okay, but did you give her tears for Bridgerton? Did I? I mean... I think hmm. I did a little bit. <laughs> I, I maybe got a little emotional at some point, but not yeah. like um, Grey's Anatomy level where I cried so hard I threw up. Oh, yeah, that's a bad way. <laughs> no, this wasn't that level for me. Anyway, but um, do you know how many households tuned in to watch the show so far in the first 28 days that it's been out? No idea. 63 million. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Is that like a record for a Netflix original series? It's actually their fifth largest, which is kind of surprising. And so Bridgerton is five, Tiger King is four, Stranger Things is three, then Money Heist, and then The Witcher. Really? Mm-hmm. So The Witcher's number one? Yeah, according to Newsweek. I wonder if that's because of the video game following. Yeah, n- nerds will inflate the figures. <laughs> so you so, were saying Bridgerton is based on the Bridgerton series by Julia Quinn. Yes, and Entertainment Weekly called it a, quote, horny historical romance for the ages. So 
that's there you go yeah so the story follows the influential bridgerton family but primarily focuses on the eldest daughter named daphne or at least the first book does which the first season of the show is yeah, I, I definitely got the vibe that we were going to switch for the next episode. But um, so she's announcing that she's open for business on the marriage market in London in Regency times. And it's primarily taking place among the society of Grosvenor Square, mm-hmm. including the Queen. So um, when her eldest brother, Antony, who is kind of struggling in his role as man of the house, kind of bungles her sparkling debut, Daphne sort of takes matters into her own hands, um, understanding how much rides on her her match. Mm-hmm. Not only from like a social and economic standpoint, but also she has pressure on herself to to find a true love match. That's what her parents had. It's kind of a growing idea at the time, it seems. So she connects with a college buddy of her brother's who's one of the most sought-after eligible bachelors, and that is the Duke of Hastings. Who is a true rake. Who has Indeed. vowed that he shall never marry. He identifies himself as a rake a couple of times during the show. And so he wants to avoid all of the conniving mamas of the ton who want to hook him up with their daughters. And Daphne wants to be seen as much more desirable than her brother has made her out to be on the market. So they decide they're going to uh, perform a ruse and fool the members of the town to think that they are together, um, making her more desirable and him off limits. Um, but of course, as forced proximity goes, they begin to feel the real feelings. Okay. So here's the thing. Daphne mm-hmm. had all the debutantes had had a, introduction to the queen upon their coming out to society to say like hey my vagina is available (laughs) yeah yeah. so uh the queen had said that daphne was a diamond of the first water and i don't know what the fuck that means me neither (laughs) but basically incomparable of the season so basically the queen was like you're like really pretty right flawless my dear yes and then At the ball, the first ball after she comes out into society, men are just throwing themselves at her, but her complete prick of a brother, Anthony, is shooing them all away because they're not suitable matches and she can do better and he knows all this dirt about all of them because he gambles and goes to brothels and does all the typical male patriarchal rakish things that are totally fine for a man to do but you know god forbid a woman kiss someone in a garden anyway right and he's kind of half-assing the effort of helping her get matched with somebody because his attentions are devoted elsewhere to his sort of mistress his lover on the side who would be unacceptable in their society she's an opera singer a working woman and of course ruined Mm -hmm. by him so ruined that she has a career she gets to do what she loves and she gets to have sex with a hot guy who pays for her apartment correct yeah yeah sounds like a real rough deal yeah right so i don't know how much further into the synopsis you want to go but that's kind of like 
the basic premise of the show. I think that that's a good overview because from here on out, we get into major spoilers. And this thing had so many plot twists and complications. Oh my gosh. Like trying to give a full synopsis of everything that happens, we would be here for like half the length of the show. So (laughs) in the eight episode series, they're married by like episode four or five. Yeah, it's definitely at least midway through. Yeah, and all sorts of stuff happens after that. Yeah, there's a lot of intrigue with a a neighbor who is secretly pregnant. Ooh, Mm -hmm. no. There's a lot of, um, let's see, what what do they say? Guilt by association with that kind of thing, which is just complete horseshit. We haven't even talked about the biggest thing. Oh, ha. We didn't talk about Lady Whistledown. We didn't talk about Lady Whistledown. So, so duh, this is like a Regency Gossip Girl mm-hmm. Downton Abbey mashup. Yes, yes. So, so the whole thing is narrated by the secret author of the local gossip column, Lady Whistledown. Nobody knows what her identity is. Apparently, there have been other similar gossip columns that have only reference people obliquely or used um, like pseudonyms and this one calls people out by their Mm -hmm. name so the other overarching plot is trying to figure out who lady whistledown is and the ruse is primarily to try to fool lady whistledown and therefore fool the whole town because she's so influential yeah this is literally a showman's where they are trying to get good press from lady whistledown because after daphne's disastrous first ball she starts writing all sorts of terrible things about how Daphne is basically a big flop of a debutante. Right. And uh, Lady Whistledown is Julie Andrews, Queen Clarice Rinaldi of Genovia herself. Long may she reign. Mm -hmm. And everyone was losing their shit because she says bitches, like, in the (laughs) first couple of minutes. (laughs) Like, Julie Andrews saying bitches. Wow. (laughs) And, and so. she was great in that voice performance. Oh, amazing. I loved her mm-hmm. so much. And I don't know, maybe it's too soon to get into talking about the reveal of who Lady Whistledown was, but it was kind of a disappointment for me. <laughs> I, I do think it's too soon, but I want to ask you, did you guess? Yes. I did guess. You guessed that it was who it was. I, I was misled at a certain point. And then probably, like, two episodes before the end, I guess who it was. I, that was the furthest from my mind. I would have never guessed who it was. I had a guess, and it was apparently the exact guess that they wanted me to have, because at one point they made it seem like they were confirming that it was that person. And I texted Meg with my theory, and then when I saw that, I texted you, and I'm like, run me my money! And you're just like, ah. Hold your horses. (laughs) Was I supposed to be like, okay, I'll hand it over. (laughs) I I mean, like, immediately after that, the show started implanting doubt. So even if you said nothing or had, like, said, like, oh, yeah, you're so smart. I I, would have been like, actually, I'm not for sure anymore. Yeah. Okay. So what do you want to talk about first? I have... I have so many feelings. Well, okay. I do have one thing to say mm-hmm. right off, which is that you are not a big fan of Regency stuff. No, I'm not. I'm generally not. I love me some Jane Austen. 
and have been heavy into that lately. And I think that this really appealed to me. Number one, it's a romance. It's new on Netflix. I'm going to watch it. There's really nothing else to do. But um, it it's like it was very much an escape thing. You know, I could go to another place another time for a while. And so that was very appealing. I was it really kept me on the edge of my seat, like wanting to see what was going to happen next and how the story was going to progress. So I blew through it in like 24 hours, <laughs> as you know, <laughs> and which you also had put money on that I would do that. <laughs> and then, so that was last or weekend before last. And then last weekend I, wa- I did a full rewatch. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. But so what I'm going to say is the flame that burns twice as bright burns half as long. So I'm, I was very into it. I very much enjoyed it. I would not discourage anyone from watching it. But the problems that I have with the plot and some of our grievances are so big that it kind of soured me a little bit on the, the rewatch. I was so, so bored. <laughs> really? You have the zone. It took me a while to get Granted, I have a short attention span. So watching an hour long, an hour without commercials show is challenging for me. I haven't binged a series during the entirety of the quarantines because I just, I don't have the attention span. Like I've, I've done a complete inversion of what everyone else does in which I've read a ton of books but mm-hmm. I, I usually watch a ton of t- TV, and I have not been watching TV. So it took me a few episodes to get into it. I watched, like, one a day. So it took me about four days to get through it because on the last day was when I really, like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to finish this. And then I got kind so of you, into it. Okay, so you did get into it. That was going to be my question. Yeah, I did Do get you, into did it. Did you like it? I did like it. And there are things that I really liked about it. But I think that this genre, there are very few things set in or written in the Regency that I enjoy. I mean, the only Jane Austen book that I've read is Pride and Prejudice. That's the only one. Love Pride and Prejudice. Totally. like I. But that's an outlier for me. Yeah. This... And that's, it's really most historical romances. I don't read a lot of historical romances. I don't watch a lot of historical romances. Yeah, it's like the, the social restrictions are such a device in the plot mm-hmm. that it gets, a little, it gets a little tiresome for me. Very, very much. And uh, part of it is, and I don't know that, Honestly, I don't know if this hadn't been articulated by other people. I don't know that I would have even noticed or cared. But historical romance has historically been very white. There are authors who have made a point of including characters of color in historical settings. Because, you know, we've been here since the dawn of civilization. Even if there weren't books about people of color. But... Regency is like so white and I guess Mm -hmm. I guess I kind of want to start there because that was a thing that was most intriguing to me about the show which is that we thought that it was colorblind casting but it wasn't quite that right and I don't what episode do we first get an inkling that it's not that like 
the third or fourth? I think it's, I don't know which episode, but there's only one mention of it. So in Bridgerton, the book series, it's assumed that all the characters are white. Mm-hmm. In Bridgerton, the TV series, the leading man, the Duke of Hastings, is played by a black man. His family friend who raised him, Lady Danbury, who is a widow who is very admired in society as a black woman. The queen, Queen Charlotte, is a black woman. There are many black characters and there's no mention of black people being of a lower social strata than white people until a conversation that Lady Danbury has with Simon, where she says that because the king fell in love with and married a black woman, that that made things better for black people Mm -hmm. and that black people could now hold titles and be nobles and that pretty much, like, solved racism. It was basically Mm -hmm. like, oh, Obama's president. Racism's all better now. (laughs) But in the Regency... And and Simon yeah. is like, yeah, but they could decide to go back on that. So it was a weird decision. I want to hear your thoughts about it because I told you that I have a specific example of a similar thing on another show where it also didn't work. And it was just so weird. Mm-hmm. Like, it felt like such an afterthought in the writer's room. And that's something that really can't be an afterthought. Like, you can't just be like, oh, yeah. This whole show is about this very delicate social balance, but there's this whole huge upheaval of the social structure that happened not that long ago, and it's fine. We're not going to talk about it. It's not a factor, except for these two sentences. Yeah, it felt like the show tried to do both things. It tried to create a world where racism wasn't a thing, and also where we acknowledge the racism of our current time, and people watching the show being like, but there were no black dukes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was... Okay. Before we found out that he would whip his dick out and jerk off in front of female comedians who he trapped in hotel rooms, I loved Louis C.K.'s <laughs> show, Louis. I'm sorry, yeah. but we gotta, like, start with the facts about that man. Sure. Um... Mm-hmm. Louis was an excellent show <laughs> and yeah and he uh on the show he plays himself and he has two young daughters who are played by white actresses and then the actress who he cast as his ex-wife was a black woman and for quite a while it was never explained or acknowledged the fact that she was black and their daughters were lily white mm-hmm. until a episode in a random season where Louis is asked about it he says oh my ex-wife's mom is white or something so basically like she's half white and the whiteness skipped a generation or something (laughs) and the show is a surrealist (laughs) show so it would have been perfectly fine if they just never acknowledged it and you just had to be like okay Louis' ex-wife is black and his daughters are white that's that's just the world of the show and what I would have preferred is if this show were just an alternate reality where, sure, slavery happened, but society rectified that particular ill on a systemic basis much, much, much earlier than 
we have because we still haven't. And if we had been able to have that lovely fantasy without having to even acknowledge the stuff happening now. So it can be truly escapist. Is that insensitive in the current climate to want to have a show that has colorblind casting and doesn't acknowledge race at all? I I don't know if I can answer that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think that it is, but maybe that was the thinking behind it. I'm sure that it, it felt like it, it felt like dancing on a crate of dynamite. Like they mm-hmm. weren't sure what to, to do with it and they wanted to cover their asses. But it did feel slapdash. Yeah. And I get what they were doing with the Lady Danbury speech where she was trying to convince him about the power of love and saying, like, love was the thing that ended racism. <laughs> it's just like, it's just so, I don't like it. No, it, it, it's a bad vibe. It's a bad, it's a bad vibe. Time. Okay, so. You mentioned that this, when we were texting about the show, that this show was like trope bingo. So, <laughs> yeah. So, right off the top, we have fake romance. Mm-hmm. We've got a, like a shade of enemies to lovers, but not sure. really because it's not like a long term thing. It was just like a moment. Yeah. Uh, we There's have... like a moment of not quite mistaken identity, but like when they meet, they don't know who the other person is is yeah but he assumes no because he's the duke of hastings right everyone knows right we have the reformed rake obviously Mm -hmm. big one Um, we have oh now they're all oh we have the best friend's sister oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) very important one not exactly a love triangle, but kind of because of the prince of Prussia. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And then we have an unwed mother situation. We have a, a jealous rival situation with Cressida. Mm-hmm. Yes. Who apparently in the books becomes the nemesis of one Penelope Featherington. Oh, we sort of have an arranged marriage situation. Like, it's a forced marriage, but they're both into each other we have uh someone who doesn't a a man who doesn't want to become like his father yeah yep i think that that trope is so easy interesting because um i kind of subverted in the book that i wrote that is not published yet because i wanted to do a man who doesn't want to become his mother hmm interesting yeah Let's see. I'm looking at tvtropes.org now. <laughs> We've got red herring with the identity of Lady Whistledown. We've got uh, a spinster in the making, kind of, with Eloise. Yes. I don't know if that's true. so much a trope, but it is a kind of setup for a lot of romance novels. Secret Baby. I guess you've already touched on that. Secret Baby. <clears throat> Unrequited Love, obviously. Mm-hmm. it's a lot of tropes <laughs> yeah so did you have a favorite or any favorite things from the show that you want to talk about favorite things from the show I thought that the okay so I have some favorite Bridgerton siblings Ooh. okay okay so my favorite brother is Benedict because he seems like the most interesting one Anthony sure. is an asshole. And yes, correct. 
Colin is a baby. He has his brain has not fully developed yet. <laughs> I have Bless high it. hopes for him. He seems like he's going to be a sweetheart. Yeah. But uh Benedict is this artistic guy who is super sweet and funny with his younger sister Eloise and he's got middle child syndrome where <laughs> you know he he knows that he doesn't have to manage the family and he's not the baby so he can just kind of you know do whatever fall through the cracks yeah. and he just is very charming and then Eloise is so smart and she has no interest in marrying and she thinks the whole thing is just silly and she's loud and she doesn't want to have her hands lowered and mm-hmm. she loves Lady Whistledown because that's a woman who's making her own way in society, her own money. She's probably not married, which ends up being true. Yes. So I was totally thrown off the trail on Benedict. I thought that he was going to have a gay storyline. I wanted that so badly. But we were there was like, right. it was like a little, little tiny tidbit of gay shit in this. Like, not that much, but some. Yeah. So he befriends a painter, and the painter brings him to his uh, party. Orgy. His orgy. <laughs> yes, his orgy. Thank you. His orgy plus painting. <laughs> orgy plus painting. So it's like paint by numbers, but more naked. <laughs> and and then you know he keeps going to these orgies and then he catches his painter friend in flagrante delecto with (laughs) i totally butchered that (laughs) with a man and then keeps going at it with the man with like not breaking eye contact with (laughs) maybe he did break eye contact but in my head canon he was like you know you're you're here with me there was some prolonged eye contact but let us be reminded that 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 he opened the door to find his painter friend in flagrante delicto when he was trying to find a place to hook up with genevieve the modiste Mm -hmm. and the painter's wife (laughs) who he didn't know was the painter's wife at the time correct correct yeah because it was just such a wild time at the painting orgy they clearly have that kind of relationship, so good for them. They're making yeah. it work. Yeah. Under the restrictions of Regency times. I also loved the scene at l- the scenes at Lady Danbury's, as she called it, Den of Iniquity. Ooh, yeah. That looked just bomb as hell. Like, it looked so mm-hmm. fun. <laughs> yes. You see all the men, the single men and the married men, they go to these, like, gambling hells and they go to brothels and boxing matches yeah boxing they do all these things and the women can't do anything but then once Daphne is married she gets invited to a ladies party a married ladies party it turns out to be like this gambling fest they're drinking they're smoking yeah they're having all the fun they should have been able to have the whole damn time Mm -hmm. how about you did you have some favorite parts yeah. Okay. I'm going to divide it up into favorite Bridgerton, favorite scene, favorite non-Bridgerton. Okay. So favorite Bridgerton. It's, I, I mean, I feel like I have to go with Daphne because she's like one of the main characters of the show, but like I enjoyed 
Eloise as a counterpoint. Mm-hmm. And I liked that it wasn't just like, I'm sassy. I'm not going to fit in with this, you know, idea that you have for me. She, when she was starting to go along with it a bit at the end, um, like at the Hastings ball, she's all in her, I'm almost out in society finest and had her hair up and whatnot. And she was like, there were tears standing in her eyes because she was just like freaking out. Mm-hmm. Like she, it, she just, it wasn't right for her. And so I appreciated that depth there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it yeah. wasn't like she put on the, all the costuming of it and suddenly she was like, oh yes, this is what I am meant to be. She's like, I was hot all along. <laughs> like kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. No, she's like, I hate this. Yeah. Yeah. And then as far as favorite non-Bridgerton, this might be controversial, but Lady Featherington for me. Excuse me very much. I know. I know. She was so interesting, though. She was just like a messy bitch who loves drama. (laughs) How dare you compare me to Lady Featherington? (laughs) She had some really hilarious lines. And she was put in a very tense situation Mm -hmm. with knowing about her sort of cousin-in-law and having three daughters out in society at the same time and trying to balance the needs of that. Plus the way she, her relationship with her husband not being a love match and Mm -hmm. finding out about his gambling addiction and him like collapsing in tears and being like, I failed you and like holding her and her look of absolute bewilderment at this, like, show of emotion <laughs> from her husband. And, like, not really being phased by anything. Like, getting a little bit f- stressed. But, like, she pretty much tried to take care of business constantly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She was – she created a lot of the interest of the show for me. And so I appreciated her as a character. I can I can acknowledge that. Because she was someone who was always trying to create an opportunity for herself and for her family. Yeah, for and, sure. And to do damage control in a way that I didn't appreciate. But, um, you know, we see some of that in her uh, her offspring later. That's true. Yeah. I'm not saying I condone her actions. I just enjoyed watching her. Do you, since we're talking about actions that we don't condone, do we want to get into the big thing now so that we can finish off with the fun things? And yeah. Get yeah. this shit out of the way. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's been hanging over me like a cloud. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Um, the thing that it feels like not enough people are talking about, in my estimation. And so Ben watched some of the show with me and then, like, mm-hmm. listened to me talk about other parts. And... He did not see it this way. And so we had like a very long discussion about it. But there's the the issue of the reason that the Duke, despite having feelings for Daphne, does not want to marry her, will prefer to duel her brother on pain of death without agreeing to marry her is that he says he can't give her children. Mm-hmm. Daphne has been incredibly, incredibly sheltered, like all of the ladies of the high society are. They can't even be left alone in a room with a man. So she has no clue about the mechanics of sex and procreation at all. So there's some 
confusion on her part as to the difference between can't give her children and won't give her children. Mm -hmm. Once they are married, the show clearly shows that there is a contraceptive method being used. The pullout game is strong. All right, let's just say it. She doesn't understand that 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 means that he's trying not to get her pregnant. Mm -hmm. So she is, he's saying that he can't because he has made a vow. She thinks she's interpreting that as that he just will not. So she goes to her lady's maid and is like, explain everything to me. Don't be shy. I need to know. And so that's when she learns about pulling out and that that could be the reason that they are not going to have kids. Mm-hmm. So instead of going to speak to him about it, when they're having sex the next time, she gets on top and does not get off. <laughs> Despite him a few times going, no, wait, you know, and trying to to stop the situation. Mm-hmm. So that for her is confirmation that he can and he is choosing not to. And he feels betrayed. She feels betrayed and like she was made a fool of. But the show doesn't make her apologize for it. The show makes it seem like it's his fault for the nuance between can't and won't. Mm -hmm. Do you think I'm explaining that fairly? I think that that is fair. Um... So when you watched it, what did you think? What did you feel? Okay, so... I tried to avoid spoilers for this show, and neither mm-hmm. Meg or I have read any of the Bridgerton books. Right. But, you know, when a Netflix show comes out, the first weekend that it's out, it's, like, everywhere on the internet. So right. everywhere I looked, I was seeing articles about Bridgerton, and I saw a headline that, was, that said it was from Bustle, and it was something like, about that non-consensual Bridgerton series, sex scene. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to be spoiled about the show, but it's like, okay, so there's a non-consensual sex scene. I, that's something that I'm fine with being spoiled about, because yeah. I would like to have a heads up about that. And then I write about it, and I'm like, okay. And then, have you, are you familiar with how it played out in the book? No, I'm not. Okay, so in the book, Daphne got him drunk, or he had gotten drunk, and mm-hmm. she took advantage of him when he was, like, when he had morning wood or something. He was asleep. Um, He was dr- So there was a, there was even more to make it obvious that there was this was a non-consensual situation. So it felt like they tried to mitigate that somewhat in the Netflix series in ways that I found both thoughtful and infuriating. So here's how I saw it. I went into it already having my mind primed that this was a non-consensual scene. If okay. I hadn't had that information going in, would I have felt the same way? I don't know. So here's how I saw it. Going in okay. knowing that it was a controversial, non-consensual scene. All right. And I, and I said this in a text message to you, which is good, because this gives me the squicks to talk about. And I don't, I don't want to be nuanced about rape 
-hmm. but I think that there's some nuance here that I hate and but it's not it doesn't absolve Daphne of anything it explains but it doesn't excuse I think that this is an example of how we are not taught jack shit about consent it, yeah. it is not a part of the conversation. And this was that taken to an extreme because Daphne doesn't know anything. She literally does not know where babies come from. Right. She right. she knows absolutely nothing until Simon teaches her. What she does know, she knows power. She knows manipulation. Mm-hmm. She knows getting what she wants through cunning. Mm-hmm. She knows that she feels that she has been lied to by her husband over something yeah. that she thinks is the most important thing for a woman to do, the thing that she personally has always wanted to do, the thing that society expects her to do, right? and the thing that she loved him so much for that she was willing to sacrifice that. Yeah. So to find out that it was his choice to not have a baby with her and that it wasn't some physical impediment. She was angry. She was confused and she took a new piece of information that she had and ran with it. It was undoubtedly fucked up. I don't think that it's like, well, it's like, you know, 50, 50 blame. It's like very much, on Daphne. And I like that the show portrayed it in a way that it was like you saw the malice in it. Like she yeah. she looked like she was, she was trying to hurt him. And yeah. she after he realized what she had done, she was like, I have caught you. I have trapped you. And this whole thing about like trapping a man with a baby, it's an inherently sexist trope that mm-hmm. is harmful to both men and women because it's people don't call it what it is which is it's sexual assault in a way yep and it makes it seem like women are all conniving and devious and trying to trap a man and i know i'm rambling i'm sorry no there's a lot to talk about with this yeah it's just difficult because i don't want to i feel like it is so awesome that we are as a society dealing with rape culture now but i think yeah. that in dealing with rape culture we're having these conversations about how consent is not always something that people fully understand so i can see why mm-hmm. daphne didn't realize that the thing she did was so horrible she thought it was just like checkmate against him but now we would see it as a completely horrifying act, which it was. So I don't know. I I wish it weren't even in there. Yeah it it really it really soured the show. Because she could have just asked. And it him. soured. She could have just she all she had to she do was ask stormed him. in but, there and been like, "You can you get me pregnant and you just don't want to? What's up with that? Like this could have been a conversation instead of a rape." Yeah. And I truly believe that he would have answered her honestly because I truly believe he thought she knew. That he thought she understood that, because that's what he that said. That I'm not convinced about. You think he should have known how little I she mean, knew? 
he taught her how to touch herself. She knew nothing. He knew she knew yeah, nothing. Yeah, that's true. I think I think that he knew. That doesn't mean that what happened to him should have happened. It doesn't excuse it. And I feel like I right. need to say yeah. that until I'm blue in the face because I don't want this to come back when I run for office and sound like <laughs> I'm a rape apologist <laughs> like Bernie Sanders. I no. Yeah. I I guess I just feel like I have I I don't think I can really draw a line between the term non-consensual sex and and rape. And I, we don't have to necessarily get into that, but I, I just, it, it just seems like very, very wrong. It was a very serious betrayal. It is not really labeled that mm. way, except for when she says, oh, so we can no longer trust each other. Like the deal is that somehow she has to forgive him for, for lying mm-hmm. to her or lying to her by omission. And it's not even a discussion that she should apologize for what she did. And that's that's just incredibly, incredibly wrong to me. And I think if – I feel like if the situation was reversed, um, it would be more than just, like, controversial. Yeah, that's an excellent point because she does certainly understand consent to a degree because she punched Nigel Burbrook in the face because he tried to have his way with her in the garden. So she understood that he was trying to do something against her will in a sexual way that was not okay. And she exercised bodily autonomy. But she did not extend the same basic human decency to her husband. And I wish that at the very least it had been a conversation where he had said how that had made him feel and how messed up that was. And she was made to understand and apologize and we were talking earlier about i mentioned ice planet barbarians Mm -hmm. they had someone be a hero in a novel who literally bought slaves yeah but in his society he had no concept of what slavery was he just thought like oh i'm gonna save some human women from enslavement and get them mates and they'll be happy and it had to be explained to him why the thing he did was so terrible yeah and it you know ruby dixon kind of made it work Despite its fucked upness, I don't think that it worked here. No. I, I don't think that she can claim ignorance to the extent that would need to be claimed in this mm-hmm. situation. Because she's saying that, like, you don't, you don't lie and fool someone that you love and call it love. But how can she look at what she just did and think that she's not doing something even worse? I, I don't know. And f- yeah. the, the, the fact that... The resolution of the show and, like, the resolution of their relationship is that somehow he is getting over the pain of his childhood and allowing himself to be happy by procreating with her. That does not sit right with me. Yeah, if he hadn't been raped, he would have been robbed of the joy of having a family. Yeah, I mean... That's gross! (laughs) It's, yeah, it's like... They don't, they don't have the, they, okay. So they have the conversation of like, all right, let's decide that we're going to be in this. We're going to work through stuff. Okay, great. You should have decided that before you raped him and him just agreeing to have a kid with you does not solve the problem Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you all couldn't trust each other and you couldn't have a conversation without just undermining each other. 
Like that is, it did not, that resolution did not satisfy me. And this was an instance, I usually love an epilogue and they, they stuck with that sort of convention of the genre to to fast forward into the future at the end. And I hated it. I hated it. (laughs) It bothered me so much that they could have had a conversation and it wasn't like they were two people who didn't know how to talk to each other. They had become best friends. Right. Yeah. They were, they were very close. To each they other. knew how to speak to each other about delicate things. Yeah. So then it's like they have, they don't appear to have aged. Um, when they decide to get back together at the very end, before the epilogue, they have unprotected sex. And so it's like, all right, we're showing that we're moving on from this by not by like healing and having more of a conversation, but by just like getting on to it and like moving forward to have a kid. This kid will fix all our problems, right? Like there were so many opportunities where she could have apologized. Like when she found out about his childhood trauma, she could have said like, I, I understand. I'm so sorry. Right. Let's work through this, but no, real quick. Do we want to get more into the childhood trauma before we, abandon all the sad things about the show (laughs) sure yeah let's talk about that let's talk about what the duke went through before he was raped let's talk about his abuse as a child (laughs) i'm i'm sorry i'm just i'm i'm angry about this you should be angry you should be angry (laughs) okay so i think that this is actually the part of the show where i cried is like them showing him as a small child with his dad but do you want to talk about it or So, Simon's mother died during childbirth after trying repeatedly to produce an heir for the Duke of Hastings. And as she is done after giving birth to her child, her husband is completely ignoring her. And he's just, you know, hobnobbing with the men, like, I have a son, I have a son. And the Duchess dies... Simon's father is not in his life. Simon has trouble speaking. He's very intelligent, but he doesn't talk. And Mm -hmm. Simon's dad thinks that his son is a halfwit and is very hateful toward him. And then when Simon does speak, he has a stutter. And his dad basically, like, tosses him him away. Calls him an idiot, tosses him away. Lady Danbury, who was her mother's, his mother's best friend, Mm -hmm. she raises him, she educates him, she gets him the educational help that he needs to deal with his stutter. He writes his father all of these letters about his progress because he wants his father to be proud of him. And Daphne discovers them later. Wax seals intact. His father never read them. Yeah. And when Simon's father was dying, after Simon had become the handsome, accomplished young man of his father's dreams. Oh, wait, before before you go on, he actually told everyone that his son had died. Okay, I wasn't sure if that was on the show because I heard that that was in the books and I didn't remember catching that. Yeah, all of when he is, I don't know probably like third grade age, he's pretty much overcome his stutter. Lady Danbury brings him by and says, your whole staff was very surprised to see that you had a son. They seemed to think he was dead. Okay, yeah. Anyway, yeah, so 
at the end of, and he rejects him again at that instance just absolutely so, reprehensible behavior yeah so then as he's on his deathbed the adult simon now accomplished comes to see him and tells him that he will never marry he will never sire an heir and the hastings line will die with him because that is all his father cares about and he is going to deny that for his father and his father dies believing that because simon is a fucking badass yeah it was awesome (laughs) so let's so let's recap simon has dealt with a speech impediment Mm -hmm. the death of a parent yes an abusive and emotionally distant parent Mm -hmm. lots of moving around yes uh being repeatedly physically assaulted by his best friend (laughs) yes almost killed in a duel yeah almost watched the woman he loves killed in a duel Uh and raped by his wife yeah yeah it's just it's very heavy and i don't i Mm -hmm. don't think that's acknowledged enough and i don't know if it's because he's like his character seems for the most part so confident or because he's so good looking but it's like we're not acknowledging just like the ton of suffering that this character has gone through yeah he's experienced so much trauma but if we want to talk about the good side yeah. <laughs> of what's going on with him can we talk about the spoon can we please talk about the spoon the spoon i'm sorry you don't know what i mean when i say the spoon i I'm lost. Okay. Was I was I like scrolling through TikTok at the time? I don't know, but it has it's taken over the internet, obviously. Okay. It's before um before they get married, when they're still participating in their ruse, they meet up for tea to be seen, to see and be seen. Okay. And this is um after Daphne has started to have her sexual awakening a bit. She has, like, a sexy dream about him. And then the next day they're having tea and he's eating. And he's, like, licking on the spoon. And they do it in slow motion. He's, like, licking the spoon clean. And it's, like, her face zooming in as she clearly is, like, entranced by the sight of him licking the spoon. I'm pretty sure I missed that. How could you miss that? <laughs> oh I, have, I have no attention span. <laughs> Okay, well, it's worth a look up, all right? Okay. But, okay, well, we can't talk about him. <laughs> no, no, talk about the spoon. I, I'm currently at my computer. I see the still of it. Okay, okay. <laughs> that's just, that's a favorite moment for me because it was just so, it was just so campy, you know? <laughs> yeah. All the sex scenes and everything that hinted at a sex scene was very well done. Yeah. Okay, so... I don't know if you have more to say about the spoon. I'm guessing that you don't. I do not. Missed it. But can we talk about the crucial moment in the garden? The one at the very end? No, the one that oh, leads okay. them to have to get married because of ruination. Yes. Okay, tell me about it. So <laughs> she flees into the garden knowing that Prince Friedrich, uh, I think is his name, of Prussia is imminently going to propose to her, but she feels so conflicted because she knows that's what she possibly should do. But of course, she still has feelings for the Duke, runs outside. He was going to depart London at once um, to rid himself of being plagued by his emotions for her. 
Because Lady Danbury was like, if you aren't serious about this girl, she's got a shot at a prince. So you gotta stop playing fuck off. her. <laughs> yeah. You gotta <laughs> fuck off. So he's planning to fuck off. But then he sees the painting from a Somerset house where they had like an intimate moment and their hands touched because this is the Regency. Mm-hmm. And so he follows her out into the garden and they feel like they're on the cusp of either fighting or confessing their feelings for each other when suddenly Simon kisses her and he pulls away and he's like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, my sincerest apologies because it's a very serious thing in their mm-hmm. society to do that. She kind of looks at him mouth agape and then of course she leans forward and starts mm-hmm. to kiss him too. And it's she like a very... lunges at him. <laughs> she really does. And then they're suddenly like basically just groping each other. <laughs> pretty aggressively and then her older brother Antony comes upon them and starts punching the duke in the face (laughs) yes now it should be noted that in the book apparently it wasn't just a kiss with some above the skirt groping it was a whipping out of the tit (laughs) during the kiss that her brother walked in on. So her brother sees her exposed breast in the garden. <laughs> the way you said whipping <laughs> So every time they reference reference like we have to marry at once because of what we did in the garden like it was a fucking kiss i hate the regency <laughs> but then i found out that in the book she he bared her tit <laughs> and i was like well that's worth having a duel <laughs> is it though is it like, I mean, she she keeps saying I shall be ruined, and so I was like talking to Ben and explaining the show to him, and I'm like, well, they gotta hurry up and get married because Cressida saw it and she'll be ruined, and he's like, I have to get married or she'll be ruined, and he's like, why do you keep saying we're ruined? Like, what is this? Like, he he didn't know that that was like a regency thing, and when you don't know that that's like a convention of of, of the time, like to say that a woman is ruined, it's a really gross weird thing to say about a human being it sounds ridiculous because it is yeah exactly like to be ruined by kissing someone a (sighs) moment less than 30 seconds they were on each other in the garden like in what way is her her virtue is her honor compromised like all of this stuff they always have to have a ladies maid with them they can't be alone with a man they can't do anything physical with a man all of this is just to like preserve virginity and preserve purity, which I assume is just an effort, number one, to control women, and number two, to ensure that your bloodline and therefore the inheritance of your property is pure. Am I right? Yeah. If, I mean, that's a whole like concept of virginity in a nutshell, you know, yeah. it was all about property. Like going back to biblical times, it was about women as property. It's just, this is why I don't like historicals, because... Mm-hmm. It's always sucked I worse previous to now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I just can't relate to it. Things are bad enough for women now as it is, but I don't 
like hearing about Daphne being ruined because she kissed someone in a hot in a garden because you know me in high school I would have been ruined like 50 times over <laughs> like I would have been a right whore in the regency you would have been the Sienna of of the time right like I the... would have been the Sienna and I would have loved it I would have lived my best life <laughs> okay so, do you have other grievances that we should talk about? I feel like we've we've hit them pretty heavy. I think that the big one is the big one of the show, which is I don't understand Penelope Featherington being Lady Whistledown. And I had to look up to see if that was accurate to the books or if they changed it for Netflix and that's why it felt so out of left field. But no, yeah. in the book she is Lady Whistledown. The only reason I guessed, and this is so stupid, is because of The Office. And you don't watch it, but there's a character named Dwight who says that any idiot would know to suspect the person that you medium suspect the most. So, like, there were people that I was led to suspect more, and so I knew that it couldn't be them. Mm-hmm. But it was just sort of her blasé response to her best friend Eloise's, like, quest to to unmask lady whistledown like her the way her response is just kind of like really hedged every single time we knew that she was smart and well read mm-hmm. and she was at all the events so yeah i that's how i put it together but at the same time like it it truly just doesn't make sense like from a writing standpoint because she is so young she wouldn't have the insights that Lady Whistledown has. That is exactly it. That is the exact reason why. Everything else, like her being there, the fact that she was the one who exposed Marina's pregnancy, because there were two people who had very recent beef with Marina before that column exposing her. The Modiste, who we were set up to believe was Lady Whistledown, Mm -hmm. and Penelope. So... That was the only thing that in hindsight made it make sense to me. But Penelope, like all these other little bitches, <laughs> didn't know where babies came from. Right. Right. So, like, there's there's just a lot there that, like, why would you know something was a scandal? Yeah, there, exactly. There's, there's shades of things that, you know, Lady Whistledown writes as if she is very worldly. And Penelope is... Not that. She is clever. She is observant. She is a wallflower who is able to blend in and get a lot of information. She's clearly a gossip, and we see that throughout the show, but she is a child. Right. She doesn't have this sort of, like, cynical, tongue-in-cheek worldview that makes Lady Whistledown so compelling. Yeah. So... I've, like, obviously it's revealed in future books, but... I am feeling like obviously there will be more intrigue to come in season two with now us knowing who Lady Whistledown is and the situation that her family is in and with the death of her father and then being Mm -hmm. totally out of money. So I'm wondering if in some ways she'll have to kind of support her family with her work. Oh, most definitely because she's making bank is. Lady Whistledown. Right. And then, of course, there'll be the pressure of, I assume that she will be unmasked 
And then, of course, it will come out that she is the one who outed Marina. And I'm imagining there will be some repercussions with Colin. Yeah. From a writing standpoint, I don't get it. From a character standpoint, I think it's amazing. She is a young woman who has been written off by everyone in her life. And she has made a career of herself. She has so much power and influence. Yes, that's true. As a very young woman, she has her own money. And that's really cool. And it's interesting that the person who Eloise looks up to the most turns out to be her best friend. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Who she kind of, like, takes for granted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, she's also one of the very few, like, plus-size characters mm-hmm. in the show, which I kind of wish it was another thing similar to the, I mean, I, they, they treat it sort of like the half-ass colorblind casting situation in which they could have had her be plus-size and not really talked about it because they don't really talk about it for much of the show. But in the first episode, they're, like, commenting on her weight. I'm like, okay, can we just... <laughs> We just not. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Any do you other... have a worst half of the couple? That's what I was about to ask you. Oh, yeah, I obviously do. Obviously. I, it's Daphne. She sucks. Yeah. It's Daphne. <laughs> okay. Next question. Um, <laughs> Honorable sizzle. Okay. So for me. I, I, I know what yours is. I think I know what yours is. <laughs> okay. So mine is a duo. Okay. My honorable sizzle is the dowager the dow dowager 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 thank you (laughs) the dowager viscountess lady violet bridgertown bridgerton bridgerton (laughs) yeah bridgerton (laughs) bridgerton abbey (laughs) you're saying a lot of versions of these words right now The late the the Dowager Viscountess Lady Violet Bridgerton. Yes, yes, that's correct. And Lady Danbury. Mm-hmm. Together they scheme to pair together Simon and Daphne. They are both women who are of a certain age in the town but they are still vibrant and fun and Mm -hmm. opinionated i love the scene where violet reads her son anthony for filth and is like you think that i don't know about your little mistress whose apartment you pay for with the family money Mm-hmm. <laughs> you think that you're managing your sister's coming out well? Yeah. You Are you the man you of the know, house? Or you, you think you know brother? more than me? Exactly. Yeah. She tells him off. She knows everything. She sees everything. I love that she got drunk at that party and <laughs> Colin had to help her up the stairs. I love that she was eating before she was allowed to eat at a party. And she's like, who the fuck cares? Like, I'm... I'm I'm a widow. No one's going to fuck with me. <laughs> and after the party, she's so hungover and she's like insisting that she was not overserved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she got drunk because she didn't want her daughter to marry the prince. It's just like <laughs> hilarious. She, she ships her with Simon, which yeah. all things considered is still the correct choice. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, Lady Danbury is 
that bitch. It is that bitch. Yeah. She is fiercely protective of Simon, but she calls him out on all his garbage. And the speech that she gives young Simon where she's like, I was so terrified anytime I entered any room, so I made myself terrifying. Oh. I was like, fuck yeah! Yes! <laughs> she was spectacular. I love that she, like, walked into every room with her elaborate costuming and her cane, and she just commanded attention in any room that she was in. I loved her casual friendship with the queen. Yeah, she was, like, the only one who could be sassy to her. She's like, oh, I can't bend any lower with these knees. I love the way that she treated all the Bridgerton boys like they were still little kids. (laughs) And she just, like, made fun of them and put them in awkward situations and was like, oh, go get me a drink. (laughs) Leave your sister alone. Yeah. I cannot argue with either of those. They're yeah. both amazing. So between the two of them, who I would love to see more of, and then obviously seeing what else happens with Penelope, uh, I'm on board with you there. Mm-hmm. How about you? Yeah, it, it's just got to be those same three for me. I, I, I mean, I'm interested to see how things unfold with the two Bridgerton siblings who are not interested in following the conventional path. So that'd be Benedict and Eloise. So I, I do want to see what happens with them. But I mean, as far as like the uh, enjoying people on screen, it's got to be Lady Danbury for me. I thought that your honorable sizzle was going to be the help. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if I was going to, if we were going to rework this show, I would want it to have a little bit more of like the Downton Abbey situation where it's like upstairs and downstairs because. The help was always there. They mm-hmm. call them the help. And a crucial part of, like, getting the gossip mill going when they needed it going. But we don't know about their personal lives at all. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I really feel for the help because every time Simon pulled out. <laughs> We're going there. We're going there. Feel free to edit this out. <laughs> But I'm going to say it. Do. I do. I mean, I was thinking the same thing. Someone had to clean that up. Why? Why was he just, like, flopping over to the side every time? Like, I know they just wanted to make it clear that he was pulling out. But, my God. (laughs) Someone had to clean that up every time. Did you ever watch the movie Blue Crush? No, I never did. Okay. Blue Crush, are you familiar with it? The surfing movie? Yeah, like early 2000s probably. Yeah, so they're all hotel maids. And one of the big scenes in that movie is that they're cleaning up a room that some football players, some professional football players were partying in. And it was absolutely disgusting. And there were like used condoms everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And, And she goes out. With gloves on, holding the used condam, and finds the owner of the room and shows him, like, what you do is you take the tissue and you put it in there and you wrap it up and you put it in the trash can. <laughs> and it was just, you know, Simon and Daphne are both assholes. That's all yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> They're trash. 
trash. They're trash that won't talk to each other. They're trash who won't talk to each other and are inconsiderate of the help. Yeah, that was that was a weird, weird flex on the show. The show's part. Yeah. So if if I wanted to rework the show, besides in the ways that we've already talked about, which is to fix our major major grievances, I would want to introduce more of the. Like, they touched on it a little bit mm-hmm. as far as, like, other social classes, like, having Genevieve, the modiste, and then Sienna, who's the opera singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, like, seeing a little bit how other people outside of their high society live. Yeah. But, like, there's a moment when Eloise is trying to unmask Lady Whistledown, and she's digging around, and I think it's her mother's lady's maid in her room. And... I think it might have been the housekeeper, like the head of the the housekeeper. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The head of the house digging around in her room and finds like the back issues of whistle down. And it's like, I'm thinking it might be you. And the housekeeper like totally shuts her down. She's like, you think that I have time. She laughs in her face. Yeah. She laughs in her face. You think I have time to be lady whistle down when I have to take care of your whole damn house. Mm -hmm. If I was making the money that whistle down has, you think I'd be working for you. I wiped your bottom. Get out of my room. <laughs> and I'm like, there needs to be more, more of that for me. Yeah. Yeah. There was, that was a great scene that I wanted more of. And I wanted more of Rose, I think was her name was Daphne's lady's maid. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? Cause I feel like I've talked so much this episode. Oh, I think we both did. Cause there's just, it, I had a lot of strong feelings about this As one. Well, you should. But overall, I, you like the show a lot. I did enjoy watching it. I probably, and I, I mean, obviously, I did. If I did a rewatch already, I will probably not watch it again. And I will, will probably watch the second season yeah. when it comes out. Can we just say, because I haven't mentioned it yet, Meg, your English accent is so good. <laughs> you recorded that without telling me. And I listened to it, and I was like, is this Meg? And I played it for Eric, and he's like, is that Meg? <laughs> it was so good. I'm flattered. I'm flattered. Thank excellent. you. I was trying to channel my, my inner Julie Andrews. I loved it. You succeeded. <laughs> okay, so are you going to do a tarot reading to wrap us up, and is it going to be for our main couple as usual? Yes, I can do one for the main couple. Do you have anyone else that you want to pull a card for yeah let's do a card for Penelope. okay do you have a recipe by the way i sure that's don't. totally fine here's my recipe open bottle of champagne <laughs> drink all of its contents claim that you are not overserved mm-hmm. and have a bug yep <laughs> loosen up your and then call that <laughs> Yeah, call that the Lady Violet. The Lady Violet. Okay, so I'm going to pull a card for Daphne, a card for Simon, and an advice card. And then we will do Lady Penelope Whistledown. Okay. What deck are you using? I'm using the Golden Thread again, just because I really like how this one shuffles, so it's good for quick readings. It's got a nice Yeah, this is the one that's made out of plastic. Okay, so for the for Daphne, I pulled the Nine of Pentacles, the Lady of Leisure card, so that makes sense. 
<laughs> yeah, could not be more appropriate. Oh my gosh. Simon, the king of wands, passionate. Uh, <laughs> uh, domineering. <laughs> Why are you laughing? King of wands, we're just talking about his pullout. Yes, he is he is a he is dominant <clears throat> over his wand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and advice for them. Oh, we've got the Emperor. Hmm, that's interesting. Okay, so the Nine of Pentacles. I feel like I've pulled this for a heroine before. Um, it is a card of leisure and comfort and enjoying the things that you have accomplished. I think that Daphne is going to do very well in her role as the Duchess of Hastings when she gets the hang of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the King of Wands, Simon, is absolutely a passionate person. And he is going to need to learn over time how to harness that so that that fire does not burn everything around him. And I mm. think that Daphne will serve as a grounding influence. And we see that with the Pentacles energy. And then the Emperor makes me think of patriarchal structures. But it also feels like protecting hmm. the realm. I think we mentioned this in the last episode of when we did mangoes and mistletoe. So I think that for them, family is going to be the most important thing, which makes sense. So as long yeah. as they are, I would advise that this emperor energy be shared between them, that they be true co-parents, true equals, and that they don't take this literally as buying all the way into the patriarchy of the day. Nice. So that would be my advice for them. And I'm going to do a quick shuffle for Penelope. Okay. Uh, <laughs> card for Penelope. Meg, are we going to do left, middle, or right pile? Let's do okay. right. Ooh, this one is perfect for Penelope. We got the moon. The moon is all about what is hidden, what is shadowy, what is unknown. It's about dancing with the dark. And Mm. Penelope has a secret identity. So this card is perfect for her. I think that we are going to, over future seasons, if the show gets renewed, which it certainly will, see her integrate her shadow self as Lady Whistledown. And I think that this duality is going to become very complicated to manage. And I am very excited to see the drama around her trying to conceal her identity and what happens when it inevitably comes out. So, and I, and I think that very appropriate speaks to, it is right for Penelope to have this outlet and to get in touch with that side of herself because it feels authentic. It doesn't feel, it, especially since she's made to fit into this very specific role. She doesn't even get to wear the kind of clothes that she likes or the colors that she likes because of her mother. So this is the one time right. that she gets to make her own decision. All right. So uh, do you have anything else, Meg? That's it. Thank you for your reading. Thank you for your very close watch of the show clearly i didn't watch it as closely as you did because <laughs> i missed the spoon that's yeah. fine so you can find us on instagram at make out already pod and then you can dm us mm-hmm. at make out already at gmail.com 
or follow us on our very sad little Twitter at makeout underscore already. And then just a reminder that our next book is Beach Read by Emily Henry. Yes, I'm very excited. And that is going to come out later in January, probably. Hooray, so stay tuned. So until then. Air kisses. Mwah.